Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, December 29th, 2022, the 708th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do in this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms, including, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media and the merch site by going to linktree.com. Slash, I'm your moderator. So last night I went to a group dinner. I had a friend in town who was a friend of mine from Los Angeles. He, like me, no longer lives in Los Angeles. And he, like me, is full on MAGA because he is tuned in to what is actually happening in the world. Now, he's been a lifelong Republican where I have not. And he's been awake pretty much for his whole life. And I used to think he had no idea what he was talking about, but we have eventually arrived at the same place. And so we're having dinner. And after everybody's done eating, the topic of Ukraine comes up. And he and I, of course, are 
representing the opinion that this Ukraine war is not happening so that we can save their sovereign democracy from the evil Russian invaders. And it's not something we should be funding. Naturally, I brought up the point that elements of the current fake administration who were part of the Obama-Biden administration were involved in overthrowing Ukraine's government in 2014 and installing a government who would do their bidding. And at that point, an ethnic civil war began in Ukraine. People in the fought-for regions during this conflict were being targeted by the Ukrainian regime, led by the globalists, employing Nazi battalions. And of course, I discussed the biomedical research being done in the bioweapons labs that were along the Ukraine and Russian border or close to the border, I should say, and how they plan to target people of Slavic ethnicity. And I talked about Ukraine shelling those fought for areas in the lead up to this conflict. I was basically taking apart the narrative that the rest of the people at the table had all assumed was true. And when you do that, you can expect some blowback. I was confronted by a person who I had just met in the evening yesterday, an Australian woman who told me initially that I was wrong because she has Ukrainian friends. And I said, well, that's cool. I have friends from Los Angeles and they have no idea what's happening in Los Angeles while they're in Los Angeles. We all know plenty of Americans who have absolutely no idea about what America's role is in the conflict in Ukraine right now. So to tell me that someone is from Ukraine and that means that they know what's happening in Ukraine doesn't really carry any water. Let's agree about what the facts of this incident, this situation are. And let's talk about those and let's see whether or not you still support Ukraine once you know what the actual story is in Ukraine. And if you do, well, hey, maybe you're the sort of person that just likes siding with Nazi battalions. And I don't respect that, but at least it's a position that you are entitled to have. But we don't need to pretend it's not true especially not for the reason often given that Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish. All that saying is Nazi armies are okay as long as the leader of that Nazi army is a Jewish person who is approved of by the global regime. I don't imagine they actually surveyed the world's Jewish population to find out whether or not they all agreed that it was appropriate to excuse the existence of a Nazi army based on the fact that a man we're told is Jewish is the one leading them. And then, of course, she asked if I had ever traveled to Ukraine, as if that would somehow change the facts on the ground. And of course, I have not. Now, I'm not saying that a visit to Ukraine wouldn't enhance my understanding of Ukrainian culture, perhaps Ukrainian history, perhaps the view of Ukrainians about this conflict. It could enhance all those things, but it's not going to change the truth value of whether or not these are Nazi battalions in Ukraine, for instance, or whether or not 
there were bioweapons labs being used and funded by our Department of Defense in conjunction with companies like Metabiota and Black and Veatch that were partnered with the regime in deals that Hunter Biden facilitated. And it's proven on his laptop. And naturally, if you keep going down this line, liberals are going to get very, very upset. So everything turned out just fine as these things do. It's not my goal in life to be liked by everyone I meet at a dinner party. But I left thinking about what was really going on and what the difference is. Why can't these people simply accept new information? Find out maybe later if it's true. If they want to doubt me, wonderful. Doubt everything I say. But if I've presented you with an idea that you have not been presented with before, or if I present you with an idea that you have been told is a conspiracy theory, but I will sit there backing it up and answering your questions. Well, maybe that's cause for you to do a little bit more research, open your mind and see if maybe the thing you were told by the television and the media and the big tech companies and our military industrial complex might not be 100% true. And so I'm trying to figure out how can these people be so certain that they are making value judgments, not only about things they know and will readily admit and make fully obvious to everyone around that they know nothing about, but also be making moral judgments on the people representing the other side of an issue that, again, it's obvious to everyone, including them, that they know nothing about. Now, usually people who know about things and have a disagreement with other adults will talk about the different things they know and they'll have a conversation. They'll say, no, well, I have an interesting counterpoint to that and I would like to explain it. But that's not what they say. They say things like, well, then who's bombing those schools and churches? Well, first, there's no reason to believe the media when they tell you that's what's happening. Second, we know that Ukraine itself has destroyed plenty of Ukrainian infrastructure, but we also know that Ukrainians and particularly Ukrainian Nazis are staging themselves in civilian infrastructure. So when that civilian infrastructure is attacked to strike at and target the actual forces there, that's not substantively the same at all as Russia actually targeting Ukrainian civilian infrastructure where there might be Ukrainian civilians. And so I'm thinking about how these people process the information that they're taking in. I have no doubt that occasionally they will read articles usually supplied for them from a news aggregator like Apple News, or they'll see headlines on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere else, and they might read the full article. I'm not sure that happens all that often with most of these people. But let's say they did. We know how mainstream media articles are prepared. At this point, I think that we can say they are intentionally written in order to confuse the reader. They'll present multiple sets of facts and then guide people toward a particular set of facts that constitute the official story. And they will also mention the counterpoints, some of the counterpoints, 
to the official story and say that that stuff is disinformation. That stuff is conspiracy theory. And so they can claim some level of objectivity. The idea that they have presented both sides while really just pushing people toward not only their version of the story, but also the meaning that they intend to have their readers pull out of that story which they believe will naturally lead these people to the value judgments they want them to have. And you do this over and over again, and you end up in an entirely false reality. And naturally, it's impossible to form a fully informed and sophisticated viewpoint when you're consuming news this way, because what you're reading ultimately doesn't really make sense. Many of these articles admit some doubt about what's actually happening. It's either this or it's this. Well, it's this, but other people say it's this. Well, it's definitely this, but it's possible that this other thing could have happened. And as long as you know it's possible that something else could have happened, well, you can't fully trust the thing that did happen. There's going to be some doubt. There's going to be some confusion. And so it confuses the hell out of readers who are not all that sophisticated with taking in information about politics and geopolitics and and even cultural events. So they don't know what's happening. And then they read an article and that article also doesn't really clarify what's happening, but they assume that some version of it is true, which means now they do know what's happening, at least generally speaking. And either way, they know what to think about what's happening. That's not how we take information in. We don't assume that something is true or mostly true or that some version of it is true when we read an article that doesn't make sense. That's really weird. What we do is we try to figure out, well, why is this article weird? At which points does this article seem to be intentionally confusing me? And then you take those points and then you research those points and you try to figure out what the truth is about each and every one of those points. And when you do that, you can gain some insight about not only whether or not the article is true or trustworthy, but what they're trying to convince you to believe and then why. It's about breaking down all those little parts and finding out the individual truth values that make up this overall argument that's being made. And so while we're digging through things and trying to figure out what's what, they basically throw their hands up because they're not all that interested. They get easily frustrated. They do not want their worldview changed because that worldview encompasses a big portion of what they believe is their personal identity. And ultimately, all they really want is a good reason to ignore whatever the issue is. They want to think, oh, well, my side's going to be just fine. They've got this under control. I don't need to pay attention to this anymore. And they throw their hands up and they walk away. They do not want to be involved in these situations. They know that Ukraine are the good guys and Russia are the bad guys. And we must support Ukraine. And those Nazis can't really be Nazis. The bio labs can't really be for bio weapons. They're certainly not doing anything bad. Our side would never do these things. And then they just ignore it. Their individual sense-making goes right out the window, and they will never think about any of this on individual moral grounds because they don't even understand what it is to be an individual anymore, by and large. They're happy to just assume that what they've read is right or mostly right, even though they cannot make any sense of it in the first place. And 
that actually kind of matters, especially with stories like we got a few weeks ago where we were told for a period of about three hours that Russia had bombed Poland. Russia had sent missiles into Poland, and that fact alone could trigger Article 5 in NATO and force NATO countries to engage in a direct kinetic war effort with Russia. That would lead to a kinetic World War III, and who knows what hell that might bring to the world. But Russia didn't send missiles into Poland. And unless someone continued paying attention to that story, they might just take the original headline and all of the excitement around that original headline, all the talk that happened that day, all the very serious statements from warmongers like Ipatch McCain, Dan Crenshaw and Adam Kinzinger and who knows who else. You can spot them by the little Ukraine flag emojis in their profile. But that creates a lot of noise that reaffirms the original headline being true. If you detach from the story at that point, then you don't actually realize a few hours later it is proven that the story isn't true. And then the people disseminating that original story have to begin to scale that story back. And they say things like, yes, these were actually missiles fired by Ukraine that ended up in Poland, but... If Russia hadn't invaded, there's no way this would have happened. So it's still Russia's fault. And then eventually they'll back off of that, too, because that, of course, isn't going to convince anybody. And the story just goes away. But the people who believe the original headline continue to believe the original headline. And all of this is supposed to be seen as okay because your take on Ukraine is just a matter of opinion. Well, I like Ukraine and you like Russia. I guess we're just not going to agree. Well, we're not going to agree about that if that's what we're talking about for sure. And this is not about me liking Russia, even though it is for you about liking Ukraine better than Russia, which makes Ukraine right in your tiny communist child brain. But it's actually not okay that you're doing that. You see, because believing and disseminating that story about Russia firing missiles into Poland actually has dangerous consequences. Now, I would never try to silence their speech. I want them to be able to say whatever they want in whatever venue they like. But there is still a moral value judgment to be made about ignorantly supporting a globalist war effort. The globalists intentionally trying to drum up A kinetic World War III, led, by the way, right now, by Nazi battalions and foreign mercenaries, without actually knowing anything about the situation. And naturally, these people are trying to be good people, which is why they so easily come down on one side. They determine that their social credit as good people will accumulate if they take a certain viewpoint. And so that's the viewpoint they take. And then they defend that viewpoint endlessly with no justification for even defending it in the first place. And the problem is that this happens about every single story. They don't actually have much knowledge on any of this stuff, but they will still passionately defend it and place moral judgments on other people based on their positions on the issues they don't know anything about. That's not how we take in information. 
When an article confuses you, you should be looking up the parts that you find confusing and researching what that means, not assuming that the headline or the overall point of view that you have taken away from the article is right enough because you can't figure out whether it's actually right. Well, we got to give the mainstream media the benefit of the doubt again. I mean, sure, they lie and mislead all the time. But what are we going to do? This is the best we've got. Now, I bring that up because I do want to share a genuinely confusing story. I don't know what it means yet. But today in the post-millennial, this story kind of broke last night. But the articles today, massive spending bill flies to Caribbean for Biden's signature. On Friday, the House of Representatives signed the massive $1.7 trillion government omnibus bill rife with pork for environmentalist causes and sent it to Joe Biden to sign just as he hopped on a plane to fly down to the Caribbean island of St. Croix, causing the U.S. government to fly the bill down to the president via another carbon emitting private plane so that Biden can sign the document before the December 30th deadline. Fox News White House correspondent Edward Lawrence reported a White House official tells me the omnibus bill is in possession of the White House. It has to be signed by December 30th. The official says at some point it will be transported to St. Croix for POTUS to sign the bill to make the December 30th deadline. So Joe Biden is vacationing for New Year's in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and this massive omnibus spending bill passed during the lame duck session is going to be sent down there so he can sign it. He couldn't stick around in Washington and actually do the work that his job entails if it was really his job. And of course, he is illegitimate and not a real president, but he's having a bill flown to him on a private jet, and a lot of people are focused on the environmental hypocrisy of all that. I don't care a whole lot about that. You kind of expect those things. It's an example of how thoroughly dishonest and unprincipled these people are, but we already know that. I'm interested in how strange a thing it is that Joe Biden is going to be in an unincorporated U.S. territory while signing a $1.7 trillion spending bill. So because of my confusion over this and how weird it seems, I thought I would do a little more research and I'm not all the way there, but I think it's interesting when we get to find out through what's happening now, a bunch of things that we just never looked into before. I have never looked into the status of the U.S. Virgin Islands. So I went to Wikipedia and we'll go through a little bit of this just to give us some background about how this whole thing works. And after doing that, we can just stay tuned into this issue, see if we hear anything more. But it's a very strange thing that's happening. So the U.S. Virgin Islands, according to Wikipedia, officially the Virgin Islands of the United States, are a group of Caribbean islands and an unincorporated and organized territory of the United States. The islands are geographically part of the Virgin Islands archipelago and are located in the Leeward Islands of the Lesser Antilles to the east of Puerto Rico and the west of the British Virgin Islands. 
The U.S. Virgin Islands consist of the main islands of St. Croix, St. John and St. Thomas and 50 other surrounding minor islands and Ks. The total land area of the territory is 133.73 square miles. The territory's capital is Charlotte Amelie on the island of St. Thomas. Previously known as the Danish West Indies of the Kingdom of Denmark-Norway from 1754 to 1814 and the Independent Kingdom of Denmark from 1814 to 1917, They were sold to the United States by Denmark for $25 million in the 1917 Treaty of the Danish West Indies and have since been an organized, unincorporated United States territory. The U.S. Virgin Islands are organized under the 1954 Revised Organic Act of the Virgin Islands and have since held five constitutional conventions. So what does it mean for a territory to be unincorporated? And here is the answer. Also, according to Wikipedia, unincorporated territories in particular are not considered to be integral parts of the United States and the Constitution of the United States applies only partially in those territories. And Wikipedia links to a document from the United States General Accounting Office from November 1997, U.S. Insular Areas Application of the U.S. Constitution. And you can jump down to page 10 of the document, observations on the applicability of the U.S. Constitution to smaller insular areas. Of the nine U.S. insular areas not addressed in our earlier report, eight are unincorporated and unorganized territories of the United States to which constitutional rights have not been extended by law. Therefore, in general, only fundamental personal rights under the Constitution apply. Most of these islands were claimed under the Guano Islands Act. On page nine, the report states the residents of all five of the larger insular areas enjoy many of the rights enjoyed by U.S. citizens in the 50 states. But some rights which under the Constitution are reserved for citizens residing in the states have not been extended to residents of the insular areas. For example, Residents of the insular areas cannot vote in national elections, nor do they have voting representation in the final approval of legislation by the full Congress. So some interesting background on the Virgin Islands. Now, I'm not saying that I know in any way whatsoever that it's not appropriate for a president to be signing legislation while vacationing outside of the 50 states. But I certainly haven't been aware of it happening before. Now, if someone out there can find it, please send it my way, because, again, I don't know that there's anything here, but I do know that this story is very, very strange. And so I want to know why. And here is something to add to the strangeness. This is Texas Congressman Chip Roy. Speaker reserving the right to object. The gentleman is recognized on his reservation. I would note that this $1.7 trillion legislation is moving off the floor without a physical quorum present. There were 218 votes cast by proxy on the rule and 226 votes cast by proxy on the final passage of of the bill. Can the speaker advise, parliamentary inquiry, can the speaker advise whether there is a physical quorum present as required under the Constitution and whether there is any recourse for any member under our rules to challenge a ruling that there is a quorum. Chair would just note that a quorum was indeed present. 
Under what rule does the Speaker make the assertion that a quorum is present when there are 226 votes cast by proxy, i.e. not physically present in the chamber? Pursuant to Section 3B of House Resolution 965, the 116th Congress carried forward by Section 3 of House Resolution 8, members casting their vote or recording their presence by proxy are counted for the purpose of establishing a quorum under the rules of the House. Inquiry. Do I have any recourse? May, do I have any recourse? Does any member of this body have recourse to ask the speaker to count the physical uh, present uh, members here in the body? The chair rules that under the rules of the House, a quorum is indeed present. I yield back. No. So despite the representatives not actually being there to vote for this stuff, the claim is that the quorum still exists because they're voting by proxy and proxy counts according to this other House rule. And he cites Section 3B of House Resolution 965, which is dated May 15th, 2020. This was created during the COVID outbreak. And Section 3B reads, Determination of Quorum. Any member whose vote is cast or whose presence is recorded by a designated proxy under this resolution shall be counted for the purpose of establishing a quorum under the rules of the House. So essentially, Congress changed the rules for quorum due to the pandemic, and those are still in place. And for the entire period since then, the House has governed quite often by proxy. The members aren't there and they're voting anyway. Chip Roy seems to think that this is unconstitutional. And I'm not the one to determine whether or not he's right, but it's an awfully weird thing to bring up if there's nothing to it. So we have a massive omnibus spending bill that is committing future generations of Americans to even further national debt in order to pay for a bunch of things that no one really wants. And then the bill was laden with all these other things that absolutely had to pass before Republicans took over the Congress because they wouldn't pass at that point. It's a very strange and unethical thing to do after the country has voted to change teams. So we have a bill passed by proxy that no one read, and that bill will be signed by an illegitimate president while he's vacationing in an unincorporated U.S. territory, and he also hasn't read it. Now, again, I'm not the person to be able to judge the validity of all of this, but it sounds to me like there are a few things about this bill that don't quite work just right. Like it's not exactly how the founders intended it to be. Now, it's possible that there's absolutely nothing to see here, but for myself, and I imagine you'd agree if you're listening to my show, I'm glad that I had the thought, well, this seems awfully strange, and then pursued more information because now we have something to keep an eye on. And when it comes to undoing the damage that has been done through these last two years of total illegitimacy of our government, there may be a path somewhere in here. Now, changing subjects without a segue. This is the New York Post from today. January 6th committee cancels Trump subpoena with panel set to disband. 
The House January 6th committee on Wednesday withdrew a subpoena issued to former President Donald Trump as the panel prepares to disband, according to a report. Committee Chairman Benny Thompson reportedly notified Trump's attorney on Wednesday that the panel's subpoena against the 76-year-old former president issued in October has been rescinded and that he no longer needs to comply with document requests, according to CNN. So you might remember a couple of months ago when Everyone on Twitter, all the little child brains were lighting themselves on fire out of joy. They hate themselves. So they express their their joy with causing more pain (laughs) for themselves and everyone around them. So they all set themselves on fire, thinking that Donald Trump would finally be dragged before the committee and testify. And everyone would know the truth about what he did on January 6th. But no, it's not happening. In light of the imminent end of our investigation, the select committee can no longer pursue the specific information covered by the subpoena, Thompson wrote in a letter to Trump's attorney obtained by CNN. Therefore, through this letter, I hereby formally withdraw the subpoena issued to former President Trump and notify you that he is no longer obligated to comply or produce records in response to said subpoena. And the truth is, he wasn't obligated before that either, because the committee itself is also an illegitimate sham. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot sought documents and testimony from Trump related to its investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. Trump sued the committee in November in an attempt to block the subpoena and keep him from having to testify. The committee released its long-anticipated final report on the attack on the U.S. Capitol last week, finding that Trump engaged in a criminal, multi-part conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Of course, their finding means absolutely nothing. They cannot bring charges. They can recommend charges to the DOJ all they want, but there's actually nothing there, and there's no evidence. And if they ever actually took any of this to trial, they would have to examine the real issues of that day, like, hey, was there election fraud? Was the election stolen? Was everyone attending the protest on January 6th justified in their belief that the election had been stolen? Turns out the answer is yes. Was there Fed involvement in setting up and instigating the violence that happened that day? Turns out the answer to that is yes, too. Why did Nancy Pelosi and Muriel Bowser decline Trump's offer of 10 to 20,000 National Guard troops to protect the Capitol that day. Why did they do that? Why did they do that knowing that there would be a million domestic terrorists telling the big lie that day? All the violent people with all the guns, except they didn't have guns that day and they largely weren't violent. It was much more peaceful than everything the communists did throughout 2020 in service of their organized and well-funded domestic terrorism organization, Black Lives Matter Antifa. And just for kicks, why did Nancy Pelosi have her daughter bring a film crew to the Capitol to film and document the events of that day? It wasn't bring your daughter to work day. It was just supposed to be the certification of electors and the objections to that certification, which were delayed and then shortened. So no one really ever saw them as a result of the 
rioting that was at least in part instigated by feds and the Capitol Police. And by the way, Antifa, because they were there too. And so were some strange Ukrainians. So Donald Trump will not have to comply with the committee's illegitimate subpoena. And Trump reacted to that on Truth Social, writing, was just advised that the unselect committee of political thugs has withdrawn the subpoena of me concerning the January 6th protest of the crooked 2020 presidential election. They probably did so because they knew I did nothing wrong or they were about to lose in court. Perhaps the FBI's involvement in rigging the election played into their decision. In any event, the subpoena is dead. So sorry, commies, I guess. I'm sure that despite your thousandth failure in a row, the walls will be closing in again very soon. Now, here's a story from last week while I was visiting family, but I want to make sure you're aware of it. This is from the Georgia record on December 20th. Georgia Supreme Court reverses lack of standing in 2020 election case. Today, the Georgia Supreme Court granted a petition for certiorari, vacated the previous judgment and remanded the case of Caroline Jeffords at all versus Fulton County at all. The court ordered that the lower court of appeals reconsider the case, which was previously dismissed for lack of standing. This rule potentially paves the way for a review of actual evidence brought forward in Jeffords original complaint. Lack of standing was cited in a number of cases brought forward as evidence of possible malfeasance mounted following the November 2020 election. Public concern has continued through the last two years as few courts were willing to hear evidence. Following the release of Dinesh D'Souza's documentary, 2000 Mules, public awareness in Georgia and across the country has broadened with renewed calls for election transparency and investigations. Today's ruling may set the stage for further investigation into what actually occurred during November 2020. And they updated this article to say it has been confirmed that today's Supreme Court order also applies to the case of Garland Favorito at all versus Alex Juan at all, as both cases were originally dismissed under the same premise. They also updated to note that letters to preserve ballots were going out immediately. So this is very interesting. Some of the cases that were dismissed on truly awful procedural grounds can now be reopened and there is potentially an opportunity to have the evidence of 2020 election fraud in Georgia actually seen by the courts and therefore by the public. And naturally, I have no idea where these cases are headed, but this is the sort of news that would stun people who believe that the courts have all sided against Donald Trump and against all these claims of election fraud. Turns out most of these courts never saw the evidence at all. They did not rule that there was no fraud. They just ruled that these cases couldn't go forward for a variety of largely illegitimate procedural reasons. And the courts have now ruled that the ruling on standing was wrong and that they do have standing to bring these lawsuits. And it's times like this where I remember how happy I am that Donald Trump never conceded. And sticking with election fraud news, this is from last night in the Arizona Daily Independent News Network. 
Discrepancy in 2022 Pinal County recount expected. Questions persist. A significant discrepancy between Pinal County's officially canvassed vote tally and its recount tally of ballots cast in the 2022 general election ballots is expected. The results of the statutorily required recount in three races were expected to be released on December 22nd. However, inexplicably, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs petitioned the courts to have the results go directly to her office and asked to postpone the release until December 29th. That's today. News of the discrepancy broke on Twitter when well-respected consultant Constantine Querard, who is not known for spreading conspiracy theories, shared his understanding of the situation. And here is his tweet from reliable source in rural county, sizable number of votes found during recount net benefit to GOP candidates in the hundreds, possibly yikes, maybe why recount results are being slow walked by Hobbs. I'm not one for conspiracy stuff, but no process is perfect. So keep an eye on it. There were automatic recounts in the attorney general's race, superintendent of public instruction race and the legislative district 13 house race. Arizona law was recently changed, requiring automatic recounts if a candidate wins by a margin that is less than or equal to 0.5% of total votes cast. The approximately 300 ballot discrepancy in Pinal County stems from a system failure and is expected to favor Arizona Attorney General candidate Abe Hamaday, a Republican who is only 511 votes away from the declared winner, Democrat candidate Chris Mays. It is believed that the issue with Pinal's tally was known before Hamaday and gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake filed their separate election challenges in Arizona courts. If that is the case, then both candidates were denied information that could have changed their election challenges, which focused only on the mismanagement in Maricopa County on Election Day. Both Hamaday and Lake were denied court victories on the grounds that they did not prove that the mismanagement could have changed the outcome of their cases. However, legal experts say the new revelations about Pinal County certainly changed the legal landscape for Hamaday. Due to a court order, all Pinal County elected officials refused to discuss the matter. In August, officials were forced to fire Pinal County Elections Director David Frisk in the wake of the county's disastrous disenfranchisement of untold numbers of voters in the primary election. Pinal County Recorder Virginia Ross then resigned her elected office in order to fill the vacancy left by Frisk. At the time, voters in Pinal County said they felt like they were watching the chairs being moved around the deck of the Titanic. Prior to the primary election day, Pinal County became the focus of lawsuits after the elections department sent about 63,000 voters in seven municipalities an incorrect early ballot in the mail. Relying on a formula provided by Hobbs office, the elections department failed to have enough ballots on hand at multiple locations for voters. As a result, voters were turned away and ultimately disenfranchised. And it's worth noting, as it often is, that Katie Hobbs is totally incompetent and also, of course, totally corrupt. And the idea that she is the person certifying her own election for the governor of Arizona is preposterous. Seth Keschel joked on Telegram saying nearly 30 percent of the margin between candidates in the Arizona attorney general race disappears. 
Nothing to see here. Move along. Surely that was the only issue. And Abe Hamaday himself has been commenting on this on Twitter this morning. He responded to a post saying Maricopa County Judicial Branch just confirmed to me that the 10 a.m. Arizona election recount hearing will not be live streamed. So if you can't be in the courtroom, then you must wait for a link released after the hearing concludes. Wow. Hamaday wrote democracy dies in darkness. He continued. He said the result of the recount shows that my opponent's lead has been cut by nearly half from 511 to 280 votes, a shockingly high discrepancy. Again, a recount just puts ballots in the machine again. My legal team will be assessing our options to make sure every vote is counted. Every day that goes by, my opponent's lead has been shrinking. This recount has an unusually high discrepancy rate and swing. This is all without a complete inspection of the ballots. My opponent gained 196 votes. I gained 427. The outcome of this election is uncertain. We must get to the bottom of this election. Transparent elections are fundamental to a democracy. A discrepancy this big in the recount calls for an inspection of all the ballots. And that, my friends, is a great goal to have. Good job, Abe Hamaday. Katie Hobbs and the Secretary of State Office abused our courts and made a mockery of the justice system. They knew the results of the recount was going to show a large discrepancy due to tabulation errors and fought against our election contest knowing this. They deceived the courts. Maricopa County has still refused to give information regarding provisional ballots. There are still 4,000 plus votes that have not been counted. We don't know who they are. They don't know if their vote has been counted. Voters have been disenfranchised. And keep this in mind throughout the future. Whenever you hear about provisional ballots, it has long been known that provisional ballots are often not counted at all. And you can now see proof of this happening in real time. The election was seven weeks ago and over 4,000 ballots have not been counted. And despite this, winners have been declared in a race separated by 511 votes, which now, after the recount, has an even slimmer margin than 511. Imagine that they are trying to seat a state's attorney general with a margin fewer than 300 votes with all of the maladministration and malfeasance that happened in this election, much of it coming from Katie Hobbs' office, a whole lot of it coming from the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and the Maricopa County Director of Elections. And they're just going to go ahead with it. The state's attorney general would be put into office without anyone knowing whether or not that attorney general had actually been elected. And yes, I understand it's just the latest in a long series of similar disgraces. Hamaday also wrote, my team is filing a motion for stay to delay the inauguration for the office of attorney general next week until we resolve all matters regarding the potential discrepancies in the recount and litigation. We request attorney general Mark Burnovich remain in office until all issues are resolved. The precedent of the current office holder remaining in place is precedent that my opponent's attorney previously mentioned in court. We agree. And that would be an interesting outcome as well. Mark Burnovich stays in his office of Arizona attorney general until these issues are resolved. It would be real bad to put that Democrat in place there 
considering the amount of election fraud in Arizona and the fact that they can't even truthfully declare a winner, assuming all those votes are actually real. Why isn't Maricopa County counting the rest of those ballots? And now finally, this is kind of a fun and funny one. Human Rights First, an organization called Human Rights First, has published a report called Digital Soldiers. QAnon extremists exploit U.S. military, threaten democracy. So before we get into the report, let's see what's up with this organization, Human Rights First. As always, InfluenceWatch.org. Human Rights First is a left of center activism group that seeks to influence through lobbying and litigation the United States government to make changes to the immigration system to accept more refugees. Oh, well, why are they studying QAnon? Human Rights First opposed the Trump administration's executive orders 13769 and 13780, commonly referred to as the travel ban, which restricted travel from selected countries associated with terrorism to the United States. Human Rights First sought to influence the United States government to remove Iraq from the list of restricted countries, arguing that limiting immigration from Iraq would undermine local Iraqi support for the United States. During the travel ban, Human Rights First partnered with Airbnb and encouraged individuals to allow immigrants and asylum seekers to live in their homes for free. Human Rights First to influence the United States government to accept more asylum seekers from Latin American countries, documented targeted crimes committed against asylum seekers from Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela while waiting to receive asylum status in Mexico under the Trump administration's Remain in Mexico policy. Human Rights First has criticized the Trump administration and the Centers for Disease Control for recommending the closure of the United States' southern border during the COVID-19 epidemic. Human Rights First noted that some experts within the CDC opposed the decision, but went on to call the decision in its entirety a bogus order based on differences of opinion on the matter between experts and the CDC. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Human Rights First used health-related concerns to litigate the release of illegal immigrants from detention centers. Human Rights First, in partnership with Physicians for Human Rights, sued the Trump administration in the United States District Court for the District of New Jersey and successfully secured the release of seven illegal immigrants on health-related grounds. Human Rights First has endorsed legislation by Senator Cory Booker and Representative Pramila Jayapal that would release all detained illegal immigrants and halt immigration enforcement for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic. What good Democrats and what a good organization release all of the illegal aliens and halt immigration enforcement throughout the entire pandemic. How is that going to help anything? Honestly, what is the possible justification for pushing for that? In 2018, Human Rights First received almost $14 million in contributions and over $14 million in total revenue. The same year, the organization possessed almost $13 million in net assets after accounting for all liabilities. In 2018, Human Rights First received $205,000 from the David Berg Foundation, $150,000 from the Columbus Foundation, $68,500 from the Beatrice Snyder Foundation, $55,000 from the Borealis Philanthropy, $27,500 from the Abraham and Mildred Goldstein Charitable Trust, and $5,000 from the Arnhold Foundation. 
Michael Breen is the president of Human Rights First. Prior to joining Human Rights First, Breen was the CEO of the Truman National Security Project, a Democratic Party-aligned national security think tank. And here's how they describe themselves. Human Rights First works to create a just world in which every person's intrinsic human rights are respected and protected to build societies that value and invest in all their people. To reach that goal demands assisting victims of injustice, bringing perpetrators of abuse to justice, and building institutions that ensure universal rights. Human Rights First is a nonprofit, nonpartisan, international human rights organization based in Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. This report on digital soldiers was authored by a woman named Elizabeth Yates, who is their senior researcher for anti-Semitism. So we have an immigration activist group and a senior researcher for anti-Semitism writing up a report about QAnon digital soldiers. So let's go through a bit of this report. This report examines how the QAnon movement exploits the U.S. military's credibility in society to further its aim of undermining American democracy. And already we are off to a hot start. So the QAnon movement, their goal is to undermine American democracy. You got it? It shows how 25 U.S. military veterans, all of whom have been engaged in the QAnon movement since the failed insurrection on January 6th, 2021, spread disinformation and build support for the movement. Analysis of their social media, along with a broader review of QAnon content reveals how Q influencers portray the U.S. military as a heroic protagonist in their conspiratorial propaganda and how they exploit military veterans to legitimate such claims and even recruit. Q influencers are recruiting military veterans to exploit them in order to make their QAnon beliefs more legitimate. You got that? QAnon is tricking veterans. It concludes with policy recommendations that focus on protecting members of the armed services, those who have served and their families and communities, the movement targets with its conspiracies. So this report exists to protect military veterans from QAnon influencers. Make sense yet? Of course not. Here are their key findings. The mainstreaming of the QAnon extremist movement presents a growing threat to the American system of government. QAnon's efforts to create the perception that they are allied with the U.S. military has particularly alarming implications for our democracy. It strengthens the QAnon movement by facilitating recruitment from both military and civilian communities and encourages active participation among adherents. Now, I don't know what the formal QAnon movement is, because that's not a real thing. But if there was a real thing, you'd think that people kind of adjacent to that community as I am would have noticed right now that they were recruiting. I haven't seen any QAnon recruiting happening. It lends legitimacy to discriminatory and anti-democratic conspiracies that are integrated into the Q movement, such as anti-Semitism and election denial. What? What part of the Q movement has anything to do with anti-Semitism? And 
how do you just put those two things together? Oh, the problems are these conspiracy theories like anti-Semitism and election denial. Well, election denial is not a conspiracy theory. Election denial doesn't even make sense. No one's denying that elections were held. They just weren't legitimate elections that produced legitimate outcomes because the laws that govern elections were not followed and were changed in unconstitutional ways. And everything that followed that was a, similarly a product of that overwhelming fraud and unconstitutionality, which delegitimizes the entire thing. And that, sorry, is just a fact. It distorts the public's understanding of the primary responsibilities of the military and, importantly, the legal boundaries of domestic military intervention. So you see, they don't want people to understand that the military swears an oath to uphold the Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic. It undermines public faith in democratic institutions by regularly encouraging the acceptance of authoritarian actions. I don't know what that could possibly mean, to be perfectly honest. It's not like QAnon is putting vaccine mandates in place. And it threatens the communities the movement targets with its conspiracies and maligns the reputation of U.S. service members, veterans, and their families. Can't say that I've seen any of that whatsoever with my QAnon-adjacent relationships. And so the executive summary. QAnon, or Q, is a conspiratorial extremist movement that originally focused on the belief that former President Trump and the U.S. military are secretly planning a war against an elite cabal of satanic pedophiles who have corrupted every level of government and that only the U.S. military can save the country. And that, my friends, could just never, ever, ever happen. There is definitely not an elite cabal of satanic pedophiles, except that it's kind of proven that there is basically every day in the news. Now, have they corrupted every level of government? Well, which levels of government have not been corrupted? If you are able to find one, then I will say, oh, those nasty QAnons, they've got it all wrong again. Today, the Q movement is much larger than those who adhere to these initial claims. So it's growing. Their recruitment must be off the charts. However, adherents still share a conspiratorial and extreme interpretation of government corruption and false elections, and often the centrality of the U.S. military to fighting this imagined threat. Well, once again, the threat's not imagined. So once you take that part away, the rest starts to make a whole lot more sense. Q-associated influencers strategically center the U.S. military in their narratives. This appearance of an alliance with the military enhances their credibility and attracts followers, including veterans. The suggestion of an alliance also creates a cadre of committed adherents. They co-opt military language and symbolism and use veteran adherents as validators to portray the U.S. military as the protagonist in their conspiracy theories. And they sure are getting a lot of work out of this simple statement that the military is the only way. People interpret that in all sorts of different ways. But claiming that the military is a protagonist in conspiracy theories is a little overboard and not really supported, at least not as far as I know, by most Q adherents. 
Yes, the military might be the ultimate backdrop that will eventually step in to save the country, whether it's overthrowing the illegitimate regime or guarding our elections process, something that is not violent and not something that signals in any way the undermining of democracy. It could also just be that military tribunals will be the only way to try people for their crimes against the country and their crimes against humanity if, in fact, our court system has broken down to the point where it is unable to do that. And we've already seen that our court system is broken down and infiltrated to the point where it is often not able to even adjudicate claims about election fraud. The most basic principle of any democracy is that people can actually vote and have their vote be counted and that our elections follow the laws as written so that everyone is on an even playing field. While veterans and active duty service members are a minority of influencers, they are overrepresented compared to their presence in the general population and play an influential role in the network by validating conspiracy theories related to the military and democratic institutions. So there are more veterans who identify with this movement than there are in the general population. Is that what you're saying? What was it about all of this conspiracy theory that drew in veterans who are, again, sworn to protect the Constitution of the United States of America? And many of them carry that oath with them throughout their lives. Why would they get involved in such a thing? It must have been the incredible recruitment strategies. Among the 16 Q-associated influencer veterans we identified who were active around the 2022 midterms, 14 spread election-related misinformation. How dare they? QAnon self-described digital soldiers are driven by a sense of duty and are highly engaged in the movement typically by actively spreading disinformation and supporting political causes inspired by QAnon. So they're acting out of duty and they are highly engaged and their strategy, these military veterans who have been recruited and completely misled by QAnon conspiracy theories have strategized that their best path forward is to spread disinformation and support political causes. Those dangerous, dangerous bastards. As the QAnon movement coalesces with other extremist movements, it buttresses these separate movements and normalizes extremism. This is especially obvious around two issues, anti-Semitism and election denial. The founding conspiracies of the QAnon are drawn directly from anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that have been the sources of violent anti-Semitism for centuries. Separately, Q and Q-adjacent influencers are major players in the election denial movement. Well, again, it's not election denial. We want our elections to be actually safe and secure and to be transparent and verifiable by the public. And none of that is the case right now. I cannot wait to find out which Q posts she thinks are centered around centuries-old anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. An alarming hallmark of the QAnon movement is that its adherents encourage public acceptance of authoritarian actions. 
And that's strange because all of the filthy, rotten QAnons I know are anti-authoritarian about everything. Some QAnon adherents have repeatedly called for a military coup as a solution to claims of voter fraud, including in the recent midterm elections. Well, no, no one is calling for a coup. We're saying that the government is illegitimate. Okay, you can't take over an illegitimate government in a coup. They are simply removed due to their illegitimacy. By calling for military intervention in domestic politics, they erode public faith in democratic norms and institutions and blur public understanding of the legal boundaries of the military's role in domestic spaces. The QAnon extremist movement presents a growing and direct threat to the military community, communities frequently targeted by extremists, democratic institutions and processes, and ultimately American democracy. Addressing this threat must be an urgent priority for both government and civil society. We must, and here are the bullet points, support Department of Defense efforts to address extremism in the military. Okay, so let me get this straight. Military veterans involve themselves in some way with the QAnon movement in larger proportions than military veterans exist in general society. And so to correct this problem, people from general society affiliated with veterans to a lower degree are going to themselves affiliate with the Pentagon in order to save people in the military from becoming QAnons, which they're doing by choice at a higher rate than the general population. I got it. That makes total sense. Increase veterans awareness of QAnon's recruitment tactics and narratives. Oh gosh, I cannot wait to read that report for myself. I cannot wait to understand how QAnons are recruiting people. Increase public awareness of QAnon disinformation strategies and improve digital literacy. Well, that's not going to work. So just go ahead and censor everybody. Is that what you really want to do? Oh, it is. Okay, we'll just go right ahead. We're already used to it. Demand that elected leaders denounce extremist and anti-Semitic conspiracies. Really? You're going to demand that people say things? Are you going to have a struggle session? Are you going to have a beliefs-based litmus test for holding public office? I thought you like were all about preserving American democracy in our constitution. Oh, it turns out that you're not. Oh, I get it. So you're just going to say that you're protecting it, but really you want to try to tear it down. Makes sense, commies. And they want to support targeted communities and hold perpetrators accountable. Okay. So if you are a QAnon influencer, this communist wants you to be held accountable for sharing information you find. And again, they're doing this to preserve our democracy and to preserve our constitution. See, the only way to preserve democracy and our constitution is by destroying them both first. And I don't have time to take you through the whole thing, but I do want to jump down to section three. QAnon digital army threatens democracy and democratic values. The QAnon movement's implied association with the U.S. military undermines the stability of American democracy. This recruitment tactic 
targets military, veterans, and civilian communities, creating a quote-unquote digital army of dedicated activists who mainstream hateful propaganda and support political efforts to undercut public faith in government. Well, good. The public is not supposed to have faith in the government. The public is supposed to make sure the government is doing its bidding. That's the purpose of government. It's actually crazy that we've ever seen it any other way. We do not need to have faith in the government. If we lack faith in the government, we need a better government that earns our trust and faith in them. This association is an attempt to lend legitimacy to discriminatory and anti-democratic extremist conspiracies, such as anti-Semitism and election denial, that are integrated into the Q movement. See, if they were just talking about election denial or if they were talking about any of the other things that are actually there in the Q posts, not anti-Semitism, they wouldn't have a racism or bigotry angle and the left cannot survive without attaching a racism or bigotry angle to any of the things that they attempt to do because they can never actually rationally justify their positions on anything. So they have to attach something that pulls at your emotions and means that you will be punished if you don't go along with our version. It normalizes authoritarianism by distorting the public's understanding of the role of the military in U.S. society, misrepresenting the legal boundaries for military intervention in politics, elections and governance. Finally, it associates the military with fantastical and sometimes violent and illegal responses to perceived political losses or social grievances. Now, again. I am only Q adjacent. I don't think I am an official member of the QAnon movement, but I'm pretty familiar with it because I've spent time trying to figure out what it is these people, many of whom are friends of mine now, actually believe. And I'm going to go ahead and trust my judgment over this woman who is a senior researcher on anti-Semitism for an organization that prior to just now worked on immigration issues. All of this is just so stupid. It is dangerous. Most obviously, it threatens the communities the movement targets with its conspiracies. A number of recent perpetrators of attacks on black, brown, Jewish, and other people have cited QAnon-adjacent arguments for their actions. Again, not true. These are false flags with misattributed motivations. This stuff is so nuts. It also maligns the reputation of U.S. service members, veterans, and their families whose dedication to their country QAnon distorts. So this report just says the same thing over and over again, basically. Digital Army. QAnon mobilizes a parallel army to undermine democracy. QAnon-associated influencers have created a self-described army of digital soldiers, highly engaged movement adherents who are driven by a distorted sense of duty. This engagement is what has transformed this network of conspiracy theorists into a political movement. Well, QAnon is not a political movement. QAnon isn't even a real thing. There's Q, the Q posts, and there are Anons, anonymous people on the internet who do research. And that's it. People actually do have a legitimate sense of duty to their country, to their family, to their society. 
and to their ancestors who prepared this society for us. They believe our society is worth preserving, and they also do believe that we all have a duty to help preserve it. Soldiers in the digital army actively spread disinformation and support political causes inspired by QAnon's conspiratorial narratives. Similar to their role in recruitment, veterans and active duty service members, while fewer in number, have outsized influence in encouraging and amplifying adherent engagement, particularly related to undermining democratic institutions. And again, they're setting this up as though QAnon is some real formalized organization that is actively out there recruiting members and then what initiating them into QAnon ridiculous undermining democracy through information warfare. The Q account and associated influencers repeatedly instruct their digital army to actively promote the movement, not just passively consume conspiratorial and bigoted content. (laughs) For example, In one day in early December 2022, the most popular QAnon Telegram channel encouraged its hundreds of thousands of subscribers to, quote unquote, spread the word to support a candidate who had questioned 2020 election results and to keep alive a false, quote unquote, story portraying a major fashion line as involved in pedophilia. So this researcher in anti-Semitism who works for an organization called Human Rights First and is writing a report on QAnon, thinks that the Balenciaga story is false and doesn't touch on issues of pedophilia. You got it? That's how honest these people are. The movement also encourages followers to engage in person. Q followers take their claims of vaccine harms and voter fraud to county board meetings, state protests, and the nation's capital, and some seek office themselves. Q adherents have run for school boards, including one candidate who claimed that mask mandates facilitated human trafficking. Before running for Congress, J.R. Majewski tagged a QAnon account in an online post looking for someone to carpool to the Capitol on January 6th. Why does this fail to mention that literally All of those things are well within the rights of every American citizen to do, despite whatever beliefs they might have or the truth value of those beliefs. They're pretending that vaccine harms don't exist and that voter fraud doesn't exist, despite the overwhelming evidence of both. And it's odd, isn't it, that a domestic violent extremist movement is going to act in the world by doing things like going to school board meetings and county board meetings and protesting? Gosh, those violent extremists. Undermining democratic institutions. Among the 53 administrators of the most influential QAnon account on Telegram, we found that six were or claimed to be veterans, making up 11% of the group. Among the 96 QAnon-affiliated actors who were arrested for their role in the failed insurrection, 18 were veterans. Given that veterans are approximately 7% of the population, they appear to be overrepresented in the Q movement. Our analysis of the Q-associated veteran content showed that building credibility by underscoring their military service is particularly important to influencers when they promote conspiracy theories about the Department of Defense. 
For example, when Q podcaster Zach P. Oh, hey, that's Red Pill 78 hosted QAnon influencer Jacob C. on his show, an episode which garnered nearly 40,000 views. Zach began by asking Jacob about his military experience. Jacob cited his military credentials before repeating Russian Ministry of Defense disinformation about the U.S. military. And you can only imagine what that disinformation might be. It's probably about Ukrainian bioweapons labs, and that's not disinformation. But let's get into the really bold claims. Digital soldiers augment related anti-democratic extremist movements. As the QAnon movement coalesces with and even drives other extremist movements around specific conspiracy theories, these separate movements benefit from Q's energy, size, and credibility in certain circles, and at times adopt its military language. This is especially obvious on two issues, anti-Semitism and election denial. QAnon spreads and normalizes anti-Semitism. The movement's founding conspiracies are drawn directly from anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that have been the sources of violent anti-Semitism for centuries. The claim that a cabal of pedophiles is harvesting children for their blood is a direct manifestation of the anti-Semitic blood libel trope. The essential Q belief that the world is controlled by a small cabal of globalist bankers intent on enslaving the rest of the population is an updated version of anti-Semitic The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Q influencers also mainstream anti-Semitism through implicit tropes specifically about the Rothschild family and George Soros, except much of what is said about the Rothschilds and George Soros just happens to be true and provable and widely reported. George Soros himself admitted as a child to helping to target his neighbors for property confiscation and putting them on Nazi trains. George Soros said that himself. It's not a conspiracy theory. After QAnon influencers decamped to fringe social media platforms with little oversight, largely after January 6th, a number quickly revealed their overt anti-Semitism, advancing Holocaust denial and pointing at Jews as the source of evil they claim to be fighting. Further, recent polling showed that nearly half of the people who support QAnon also believe in the anti-Semitic protocols of the elders of Zion. Well, I don't know how they came to these conclusions. I don't see much of that stuff myself, but hey, I'm not a leftist think tank. And this very astute researcher cites a morning consult poll from mid-2021 with the headline, not every QAnon believers an anti-Semite, but there's a lot of overlap between its adherents and a belief in a century-old anti-Semitic hoax. Okay, I guess now that you've said it and attached a poll to it, it has to be true. QAnon embraces election denial. Q and Q-adjacent influencers are major players in the election denial movement. While two of the nine Q amplifying 2022 candidates who are veterans expressed support for election related disinformation in the days immediately before and after the midterm election, 14 of the 16 QAnon associated influencer veterans who were publicly active in November 2022, we followed, did. And again, it's not disinformation if it's true. It's legitimate, true information about problems in our elections being spread. Some post misleading content suggesting that minor problems with voting operations were part of a sinister plot to steal votes. 
Others made repeated and unfounded claims of victory for candidates who had lost. Correct. Donald Trump won in 2020. Carrie Lake won in 2022. And there are a whole lot more candidates who actually won and were defrauded out of their office. And yes, there actually is a sinister plot to steal votes. It is, in fact, a widespread conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory, just a conspiracy. It is a system. You can see how the system operates. The same system operates in different countries and produces the same results. And you can find the reporting on all of this. The narratives mirroring exactly in outlets like Reuters. Some influencers directly leverage their veteran status. For example, on Veterans Day, former Army intelligence officer Ivan R. That's Raiklin implied that veterans have been disenfranchised and called for former service members to protest supposed election fraud in Arizona. How dare he? So it just goes on and on. QAnons are anti-Semites. QAnons are election deniers. Now, doesn't matter whether or not it's true. All that matters is that they produce the report that their funders and their political allies want them to produce. Keep an eye out. Keep your ears open for any mention of this human rights first QAnon report, because often when these things come out, they are routinely cited over and over and over and over and over again as proof of whatever the mainstream narrative needs said. And for them, the QAnon is very, very dangerous narrative never gets old because QAnon is a boogeyman for their hate movement. Everything that's bad is QAnon and QAnon is everything bad. Anything that dissents from the central narrative will eventually be attached to QAnon so that they can use the power of that boogeyman within the hate movement to stifle, suppress, or censor all of that dissent. If you'd like to read the report for yourself, you can find it in the info stream on telegram t.me slash I'm your moderator. And otherwise, I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!